You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is the good Reverend Jim again. Uh, today we're doing something completely different. It's just going to be me today. So uh, uh, my, all my friends left me. So, uh, um, But anyways, apparently everyone must, must have partied a little bit too much this past weekend. So that's fine because today I plan to talk politics, and of course, you, know, you don't want to talk politics with other people because then they interrupt you and it turns into big fights and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, like I said, my name's uh, the Good Reverend Jim, and uh, the purpose of this show is trying to make the world a better place. And uh, I, I see uh, doing that is by doing a, a, I see good relationships as a good way to uh, achieving making the world a better place. And to me, the secret is to uh, Having good relationships uh, lies a little bit in astrology, uh, a little bit in religion, and a little bit in politics. Uh, as far as like uh, religion goes, I'm not a very religious person. I'm pretty agnostic for the most part. But I do love the words of Jesus. And uh, we've talked about in previous shows where religion kind of like sets like the, the goals that we should all have. You know, 65% of the world or probably about 60% of the world you know, believes in uh, the Old Testament to some degree. And uh, so we all have this, this same kind of beliefs. And if you believe, you know, if you're a Christian or a Muslim or, you know, a Jewish person, uh, you probably, you know, God gives a commandment that we're supposed to pretty much love everyone, not judge people, help the poor, you know, not be about money. These are things that Jesus preaches about. So to me, when I think about uh, uh, religion, it's, it's kind of like a, a guiding force. And I, w- I wish a lot more people would read the words of Jesus in particular because he hasn't really good things to say that I found out that if you try to apply them, they, they really make a difference. And if you really try actively to love people, it's not always easy, but if you get yourself into that kind of mindset to, you know, I must love this idiot that I'm talking to, um, it, it kind of like frames your thinking in a different way. And, um, but you know, that, that, as far as I'm concerned, like religion kind of like is setting a goal for us. And, you know, of course, love God. But, but you know, the, the other thing is, you know, love everyone else that God created. You know, he created all of us down here. So um, when it comes to relationship, that's where we're going to start off at. Uh, I look at astrology as a nice tool for help me to love other people. And what astrology with astrology, I look at the uh, personality aspect of astrology, not so much of fortune telling. I look at you know, personalities and when I started studying up on uh, astrology, it opened my eyes to realize that, you know, everyone's different. And, uh, you know, I have my way about me and other people have their way about them. And we don't necessarily always click with each other. There's some people I, I do click with and there's some people I don't. And, you know, that's just fine. Uh, I fall into the geek category. And, you know, sometimes those geeks get a little bit self-conscious and wish we were like the the cool kids. And uh, But, you know what, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a geek. You know, trust me, if you need tech support done, you know, you want me. Um, but you know, if you want to have a, go out and have a rip running time at the bar or something like that, you know, my crazy friend Ronnie, uh, she'd be a great person there. And then if you want someone to, you know, help you, you know, get your shit together, you know, you want one of those little bitch type signs coming in. The main thing that astrology taught me though, is, is that, you know, one, like there's some people I'm going to click with and some people I'm not going to click with. And the other thing is, you know, the crazy person has this, you know, as much as I might admire them, they do have their shortcomings and the, the you know, the bitches, you know. Yeah, a lot of people say a bitch is bad, but no, no, bitches help us get, you know, stay on track and stuff like that. And as geek, you know, we, we may be socially awkward, but, you know, if you want someone to pay attention to you and be a little cheerleader, you know, you probably want one of those geek type people. So, so like I said, uh, I focus a little bit on religion. I focus a little bit on astrology because it's kind of like might be key. 
Um, we touched a little bit about like a, a DBT and some of these other type things. Like, you know, even with a perfect uh, compatibility with someone, you're still going to run into problems. We mentioned before in the show that, you know, Ryan and I had a little spell there where we were fighting quite a bit. And, uh, and uh, we got into this like DBT type of stuff, which, you know, basically helps you control your emotions. And, and when you're going through a tough time or, with, if, you're, or if you're fighting with someone, um, it, it helps, you know, give you suggestions on how you can go about the, this process a little bit nicer. Um, what we just dove into the past few weeks is government. And uh, the way I look at government is it's kind of like the way that we force each other to deal with each other. Um, you know, like it or not, you know, we're in a big, huge country of like 300 and something million people. And, uh, you know, we're not all going to get along. You know, some people tend to be a little bit more selfish and not think about the people. And as much as I want to preach and our religions want to preach about, you know, loving other people and thinking of them, uh, some people just don't do that. And uh, that's where we need our government to come in and say, okay, you guys, uh, you know, stop you know, messing around with each other and, you know, do what's the right thing to do. So... We spent a couple times uh, talking about the uh, a couple episodes talking about government a little bit, and we're going to expand on that a little bit more. Um, the first thing we we started on this topic because uh, the elections are getting up in uh, full gear now, and uh, elections are like a you know they're kind of like a you know they're like a field day for me because you know if, for someone like me that pays a lot of attention to other people's personalities, uh, you know, elections is where you get to dig into people's personalities and they shine a little bit more because these people in your face all the time through, you know, for the next two years anyways. And we get to see them in their, their confrontational situations. You can see them in their good situations. And of course, we get to hear everyone's opinions about them too. So that's what got us started talking about um, uh, politics. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that people don't quite realize about politics. Um, one thing I hate about elections is, uh, you know, it becomes like a mud throwing fest pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, if you understand what the system's like and stuff like that, you find out that some of this stuff is kind of like nonsense. And uh, one thing I, I like to say is like, you know, when we talk about politics, I think it's best if you don't talk about people or parties. So if we were discussing something like, uh, I think Elizabeth and I last week were talking about like uh, uh, immigrants and stuff and, and trying to, bring jobs back to America and the pros and cons and, and the different things about that aspect of things. Um, if that's the topic, you know, we can talk about that, have a really good conversation. And Elizabeth and I did have a good conversation, in my opinion, about that topic. Um, when you start talking politics, though, the conversation goes way downhill when you start bringing up politicians. If I said, well, Trump did this and Obama did this and Clinton did this, people start like getting into a little crazy type mode where they're not really so much talking about a problem and a solution, they're more talking about cheerleading for their team and, and bashing the other team. And I think that's completely unproductive. And it's a shame that it seems like our country does more and more and more of that as we go along. And you know, I want to try, um, you know, getting away from that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing on my website, I have a little article talking about like what I call the blame game. And if, if you look at how the political system works in America. We, we have a president, we have a, a, a Senate that's made up of 100 senators. Then we have a, a House of Representatives that's made up of about 435 congressmen. And then we have a Supreme Court. So when you, if we want some kind of law passed or some kind of action taken, typically it has to be brought up in the House or the Senate. They have to come up with a bill and they have to pass that bill. And so if you look at the House in particular, that's 435 people. You know, some uh, Republicans, 
some Democrat, some independent sometimes. But all these people have to somehow get together and come up with something they can all vote on and pass with with a majority vote. And then once they do that, that's not the end of it. You know, the uh, Senate, who might have a similar bill, they're going to pass their own little bill. And they have to get like 100 or actually probably about no, – um, they probably have to get about at least 50 people. But a lot of times with the filibusters and stuff, they need about 60 people to pass that. So they in- inevitably have to have like uh, the other party on their side a little bit too. So once they pass something on their side, then the House and the Senate both have to get together and do like a compromise bill where they say, okay, this is something that we both like, both of us think we can agree on. And then have to vote on that again. But if you think about this, that's like essentially over 500 people, they have to get together and the majority of them have to decide, you know, this is a good bill that we can pass. We have to get this to the House somehow or another. And then once that's all done, then we have the president. And the president, you know, he doesn't make his own laws. He basically just signs the laws. But he has the power to actually do a veto. And in order for, if he vetoes a bill, it goes right back to the House and Senate and they can overturn his veto, but they need like three quarters of the, the of the uh, of the of the House and Senate to actually do that kind of stuff, so it doesn't really happen that often. Um, the, the, and then, of course, we also have the Supreme, Supreme Court that throws in there too. They may say, "Well, this law is unconstitutional too, so this we can't allow this law to go through." My thing is, is like there's so many people involved there that that there is a lot of horse training going on there. And there's a lot of tricks that they put in there, like 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 uh, we're talking about, like how like maybe Texas wants to have like uh, some Air Force base down there. Well, Michigan might be saying, well, if if I go along with you, what are you gonna do for my state? You know, are you gonna help me clean up my lakes? You know, are you gonna do this? And then sometimes they put little things in there, like traps in there, where they say, um, well, I'm gonna put this little thing in the law there. That way, if he actually votes for this law because he got something else out of it, I can during an election cycle, I can look at this little tiny thing. And say, well, he voted for this. When in reality, the guy didn't support it anyways because he's just mainly supporting for something that he really, he's voting for something that he really wanted. So I think these are like some of the nuances that the general public just doesn't quite understand about how the political system works. Um, so when it comes to like the presidential elections, you know, I learned a lot, a long time ago that I don't care what they say because, you know, a lot of times they're going to lie to you and tell you what you want to hear anyways. But um, to me, when I'm looking for presidents, you know, I'm looking more for the, the temperament, you know, what kind of a, you know, if, if it's a leader or not. And we talk about how astrology can help us along with that one because we found out that most presidents, or especially the great presidents, fall into one particular astrology category, and that's the fixed signs. So that'd be like the Taurus, the Leos, the, uh, the Aquarius, and the Scorpios. Uh, those, that astrology tends to be really good leadership uh, signs, and that's might be who we want to vote for. Uh, by the way, uh, Joe Biden, uh, he's uh, um, he is in that category, whereas uh, uh, Trump is not in that category. So, and uh, if you pay attention to stuff, you can kind of see how this stuff plays out. Uh, when I talk about politics, I really don't like attacking people. Um, you know, I have my feelings about certain people, but you know, I go back to religion again. I try to you know always keep my mind love. I don't like Trump at all. Uh, I hate him actually. But, you know, that's not necessarily good of me to be able to do that. You know, every other president I can look at and say, like, I'm Democrat, but uh, uh, I can look at, like, uh, George Bush uh, Jr., and I didn't like him at all as far as the president goes. But I can still look at him and say, you know what, he's, you know, he seems like a nice enough guy. You know, I don't view him as being a bad guy. I don't agree with his politics. I don't think he was a good president. 
but I don't hate him or anything like that. I can still have some compassion for 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 Bush Jr. Um, I love. I actually liked uh, Bush Senior. I actually voted for him. Uh, I admired him as far as uh, Republicans. Uh, Trump is someone that I just don't like at all, and mainly because all the things I stand for, he seems to be against. For example, the big thing is love. I am all about loving other people, and I just don't hear that much love coming from Trump. And uh, it, it, he almost like encourages other people to hate other people too, and I just find that completely horrible. So that's some of my, my my foundations of uh of uh you know just try to make the world a better place in politics anyways. Um. So when it comes to politics, like I, I try to avoid talking too much about individuals. And in American politics, I think the bigger thing that people should pay attention to is parties. And I think parties. The good thing about parties is they kind of dumb things down for everyone. And uh, like I said, we have to get so many people on board in order to get any kind of bill passed. And the nice thing about a party is, like a Republican Party or Democrat Party, is they automatically get about half the people on board with them you know, for the most part. So it makes the process a little bit easier. And when we think about the parties, the parties basically have a general philosophy and some general things they're trying to push. And the people are probably going to push for those kinds of things. And that's why when I vote nowadays, I don't. You know, I used to try picking like, well, I think this guy's a good guy, and this guy's a good guy, and this guy's a good guy. And um, what I found out was when I did that, um, I was wrong a lot of times. You know, you you, you think what they're saying is might be true and all that kind of stuff, or your hope is true, and you vote for the person. Then when they get in office, like that person's not what I expect them to be. And um, you know, like you might vote for someone for the other party. But then once they get in office, you find out, well, all they do is just kind of vote along party lines. So I kind of like encourage people more to do, you know, vote more along parties than um, the person. You know, during the primaries, you can vote a little bit more on the person. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's, it's, it's the parties that make the big difference. Um, <laughs> I do get into a lot of political discussions on Facebook. Um, I can change a, a, a thread into, a, you know, a 200 you know, 200 uh, comment thread in a long t- you know, pretty quickly. Um, I do like uh, doing political discussions. Uh, with my political discussions, I kind of approach it always the same way. One, is I, is I try to, um, you know, come at it from a, a point of love. So, you know, I, I do my s- say some snarky things here and there, but for the most part, I try to treat the person that I'm debating with, um, you know, respectfully. You know, they may have a different opinion, different view that, you know, I might think they're stupid maybe, but, uh, you know, I don't necessarily hate them. You know, it's like, they just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like what, uh, uh, Jesus said when he's on the cross, you know, he said, uh, uh, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they've done. You know, to me, it's like, okay, this person I'm talking to, he may be a good person. He just doesn't quite know. He just hasn't quite thought things out the rest of the way. And when I approach a political discussion, um, I, I, I approach it as this, as if um, it's kind of like a, I like to think that if we all had all the facts and we were all knowing that a lot of us would come to the same conclusions if we had the same goals. Um, so when I approach a political discussion, it's like I'm trying to like dig out the facts and try to understand what they're thinking, what I'm thinking, what the facts actually are. And my goal is always to feel consensus. Like my goal is not necessarily to win, it's to come up with a consensus. And the problem is, is when you get into debates, that kind of gets lost. 
you know, people really quickly go into the, the, uh, um, you know, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, and, and they start bashing on each other, and they lose track of the actual discussion, and they they almost like don't make an effort at all to try to see the person's perspective, try to find the facts, and try to find a a, a solution, and um, you know, I, I think it's kind of sad. One thing I tend to go towards a lot in uh, debates is the budget. And uh, this is what I'm going to talk about a little bit more on this particular episode. Uh, the budget, I'm talking about like the, uh, you know, the, 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 the taxes, you know, the revenue side, uh, the spending, and the debt. And that's uh, kind of a, a big one to me. And the reason why I tend to go towards this, probably a couple of reasons. Uh, one is you know, pretty early on in my voting, uh, when I started voting, I was like 18 years old. Uh, one of the first elections I voted in was uh, Ross Perot, George Bush, and Bill Clinton. And Ross Perot, his big thing was the debt. And he was saying our debt was going to out of control, and he had all these little plans about how we can get that debt uh, you know, under control a little bit more. And he pounded on that so much that I think it had a big impression on me, so I started studying that a little bit more. And when I studied it, it was quite the eye-opener. There's some things that I thought were happening that, really were not happening when you dug into the numbers. And uh, I started paying a lot more attention to it. And um, I think it's kind of important. The other thing, reason why I focus on the debt, though, is it's something that we should be able to agree on. I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the budget. And, uh, you know, everyone wants, we're supposed to all want to have a balanced budget. I mean, this should be a pretty easy conversation to have. I mean, there's some nuances that we get into here and there, but... For most part, this should be a, a, a relatively easy conversation. But what I found out is this, you know, it's definitely not a good conversation. I mean, it's not an easy one to have. So on my, uh, my, my website, I have an article there about, you know, it's kind of like an introduction to the budget and, you know, basically how to think about the things and how to look at things. Um, I come from, uh, you know, education-wise, um, I, uh, I had a, a background in like uh, engineering uh, my whole family is pretty much engineers. But in addition to that, I also uh, study business too. So with those combinations, there's certain things that are, you know, it teaches you how to look at numbers. And, you know, you always look at numbers and all these different things. And between like engineering, you're really digging deep into like how to analyze something and, and look for uh, flaws and try to correct the flaws. But uh, with business, you know, you're looking at ways to analyze all these different numbers. And I, I kind of try to, uh, try to uh, um, apply a lot of these uh, topics to uh, politics. So first thing is, when it comes to the budget, if someone starts talking to you in dollars terms, like, you know, oh, yeah, the government is spending $2 trillion this year, $4 trillion this year. Oh, look at the debt one, this many billions of dollars, they're spending out a million dollars on here. Um, that right there is someone that's probably trying to de deceive you. Typically, most people cannot relate to those kinds of numbers. I mean, my budget, we're talking about thousands. You know, it's, it's relatively small. I can't wrap my head around millions of dollars or billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. You know, for most part, it's just a decimal point. But it's like a lot of us can't do that when we hear something like even like, you know, a billion dollars. We're like, oh, my God, that's so much money. But when you consider the fact that we have three hundred over 300 million people in this country, it's like, well, you know what? You know, the budget gets pretty big pretty quickly. So 
usually looking at the dollar figures is actually a, a really bad way to look at things. So, and, and here's some examples that, that people often say, like, they'd always say, like, the uh, uh, the current president has spent more money than any other president in history. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's pretty much always going to be true. Like, they used to say that, uh, you know, Obama, he spent more money or he raised a debt more than any other president in history. So, if you go by, like, a yearly spending, the most money that Obama ever spent one year was, uh, you know, and by the way, uh, speaking of presidents, so when I talk about presidents, keep in mind, um, there's a lot of people that goes into these decisions. Uh, like Obama, he doesn't set the budget necessarily. Budget starts at Congress. Uh, Congress has to pass all the budget, the spending type information. They have to pass it, and, you know, like the president has to approve it. So when I say like something like, like Reagan spent this, or when I say Clinton spent this, or when I said Obama spent this, or when I say Bush spent this, or Trump spent this, um, it's not necessarily the president did it. I'm just saying that in that time period, they spent it. And, you know, I'm kind of mainly using the president as the, you know, the mile marker, but there's a lot of things that go into this, you know, what goes into this thing. But anyways, so a lot of times when you get into these political discussions, uh, people always say like, you know, like Obama, he spent $3.8 you know, trillion. He did it in one year. He spent $3.8 trillion. That's the most he ever spent in one year. But guess what? Trump, he spent $4.11 trillion last year. So he spent more money. So then they look at someone like Reagan. Well, a Reagan's, Reagan's budget was only a, a trillion dollars. He only spent a trillion at, at his high point. So was he a good president? Was he a lot more frugal because he spent only a trillion dollars versus you know $3.8 trillion or $4 trillion what, what, what Trump is doing? No, no, that's not true at all. And the problem with looking at things in dollar terms is two things. One, population growth. Our country's always growing in population. And the other thing is inflation. And we have built in, you know, we have inflation that happens, comes in too. And if you look like a, you know, from like a science perspective, you know, if you look at a population curve or a population growth curve, it gets really high really quickly. You know, that's just what you do with a population thing. So that's essentially what's uh, uh, happening with the budget. You know, as the population grows, so does the budget grow too. So every president, you know, unless, you're pre- unless somehow or another your population are shrinking, you know, every president's going to spend more than the previous president. And then throw on top of that inflation. We actually want to have some inflation. Well, the inflation on top of the population that makes the numbers jump really high up there. So, so when I see like a Reagan spent a trillion dollars and Trump spent four trillion dollars, they don't compare at all. It's a very, very, very bad comparison. And uh, excuse me, let me drink. So it's a, it's a really bad comparison. And if you think about what we do with business, like in accounting, um, we already we're not so concerned about the dollars. If you're going to invest in a, in a, a stock or a company, what do you look at? You look at your return. You look at the rate. You know, what percent profit are they making? Are they making 5% profit or are they making 20% profit? You know, if I put a million dollars into it, you know, it's like uh, if I say, yeah, the stock's going to give me $10,000 profit, that means nothing. Because if I had to put a million dollars into the stock to get $10,000 back, that's not necessarily a good investment. But if I, if I put in uh, $50,000 and I get $10,000 back, that's a really good investment. So when we talk about business, you know, we look at the ratios a lot, uh, percentages a lot. 
Uh, if you want to get a mortgage in your house, you know, one thing they're going to look at is, is sure, your income. That's going to be one thing. But some of the bigger things is like your debt to income level. They want to know if like, you know, do you have 40% debt payments? You know, they're looking at the ratios there. So the dollar figures, we don't use them ever. I mean, it's very rare to use them in business. We're always looking at the percentages or the ratios. And when you start looking at the ratios, that's where you start getting a, a much more clear picture. Um, so one of the, the, the big things that uh, if you look at your, your, your own life, for example, uh, when you go to buy a house, you know, is a $100,000 house expensive? Well, it depends on how much money you make. You know, if I make, you know, $30,000 a year, yeah, that might be an expensive house. But if I'm making a million dollars a year, no, a $100,000 house is nothing. So, so that kind of like camera homes a little bit more about the importance of like looking at things relative. And actually looking at things relative to income is pretty much a really good way to look at a lot of things. So when it comes to the government um, or just governments around the world, one of the big things that people look at is what's called a gross domestic product or GDP. Uh, gross domestic product is basically if you took all the people in the country and you added up all their salaries for the year, that's basically what the gross domestic product is. So you can think of the, the gross domestic gross domestic product. That's basically the income of a country. You know, all the people add all their incomes together, sum them up together. That's the gross domestic product. And that is pretty much one of the best things to measure things against with any country in the world. So when we do that, one thing that we tend to look at is the debt. So after right around World War II, uh, World War II, we spent a lot of money. Uh, for one thing, we were spending a lot of money just fighting the, the Depression. But then when the war came about, we spent even more money. So that was the highest debt that our country had in our country's history. And to put that into perspective, our debt was 121% of the GDP. So once you pass 100%, that's where, where the red flags start going off saying, okay, this country has a debt problem. You know, we, we have to, you know, they have to, they're not a stable country necessarily. I mean, America is a little bit different, but but when we looked at like Greece, when Greece hit like over 100% debt, everyone was like, okay, Greece might have some problems over here. Let's look at this country. So debt is not always a bad thing. Of course, uh, we were fighting World War II, so when you fight a war, you have to spend some money and you can't pay for it all at one time. So it's like a, a house payment, you know. It's like you're not going to just pay cash for a house. If you can, great. But, you know, a lot of times there's some things that cost a lot of money and it's, it's good to have a debt. But the big thing is set up a system to start paying off that debt in the future. And uh, with World War II, that's exactly what we did. We increased the taxes. And because we increased the taxes so high that – the debt slowly got lower and lower and lower. If you look at a graph, I mean, it's, a, it's on a steady decline right after uh, 1946. So it went from a high of 121% of GDP, and then it went down to the low of in 1974 at 32%. So over that time, even though we started off with a high debt, you know, we, we, we got it under control pretty nicely. But then we had some issues that popped up in, in, in like 1980, Around 1980, we made some pretty significant changes to how our country was run. And then all of a sudden, our, our debt started growing. And by like 1988, it went from like 
you know, that low of 32% of GDP, and then grew up to 51%. And it's like, why? You know, you know that they, 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 that that debt that's going steadily down all of a sudden took a radical turn. Matter of fact, by 2008, uh, just before the crash, our debt was at 70% of GDP. It's like, why? You know, we didn't have anything, we didn't have any major world wars at that internet time period. We had, uh, uh, um, the, the the wars in like uh, Iraq and stuff like that, but those those wars are actually really minor. We didn't have to do too much ramping up on our budget for those things. And then you know, right nowadays in 2018, our debt's at 107 percent of of GDP. So you know, those are some eye openers. I could tell you the numbers, but the numbers won't really matter at all because you know, I mean the the dollar figures. The thing is, of our income, you know, back in World War II. Our debt got to 121% of our income. And right now, our debt is at 107% of our income. Whereas back in 1974, we had our debt down to 32% of our income. So that was you know, relatively decent. So those are some big, bigger numbers and you tell a better story. Um, if you go to my website, I have a couple of uh, little charts on this article. Go to the politics section and... Uh, I show you a little chart that shows like the uh, debt versus GDP, and when you look at it that way, you see little bumps in there. Like you can see a bump where World War One happened. You can see a little bump where World War Two happened, um, and then after World War Two, you know, it, it, you know, you see how it declined, 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 and then in the eighties, kind of popped back up there. But when you look at relative to GDP, you see these things. If you were to graph the debt in dollar terms, all you see is a, a, is a line going pretty much straight up. But and you can't really tell where World War One is at. You couldn't tell where World War Two is at. You can't tell these kinds of things, and that's the significance of using a, a ratio type thing to look at numbers. Um, so we had a, one of the big things that I harp on a lot is around 1980. Um, you know, when when Reagan came to power, that's where the debt took a pretty dramatic turn for us. And the, the, the big question is. What happened? You know, and, and to me, this should be a relatively easy discussion. But I find out that really quickly, you know, if you got some people that like Republicans or like Reagan, they'd be like, well, they start making all these excuses for him doing this or him doing that. And they say, well, yeah, well, look at Obama. He had this. Or look at, you know, you, you get that conversation really quickly. And to me, it's like, why? You know, we shouldn't have that. We should be able to, the, the numbers are pretty straightforward. We should be able to look at this thing and have a nice, easy discussion about this kind of stuff without bashing the other person. Uh, the, the, the numbers are pretty black and white. So, what at, you know, in my translation of what happened, and I did a little write up on the, the website of the time period between uh, Reagan all the way up to uh, up to Obama. I didn't include Obama, but up to Obama. And the reason why I include that particular area is because that's where our debt made some pretty significant changes. And you can almost tell why, you know, why it happened. So, like I said, when Reagan took office, uh, the debt was right around 32% of GDP. By the time he left, it was up to 41, 51%. Something happened in that time frame there. So one thing that a lot of people often say is, well, Reagan was fighting the Cold War, um, which, you know, yeah, we were always fighting the Cold War. And so they say, well, he spent a lot of money on military. Well, um, if you, if you look at the numbers, uh, the military spending really did not go up that much at all. I mean, it was 
it, it, it just was not that big of an impact. And by the way, there's a um, website out there called uh, that I love to use. It's a uh, uh, it's called a usgovernmentspending.com, and uh, I like this site site because there's so many ways you can make your own little graphs and you can like look at every little number in, in great detail. And uh, it's, it's a site that's put up by Libertarian, which I'm not Libertarian, so it's almost like an anti-democrat type thing. So, um, but you know, a good site's a good site, and this is a site that. Uh, they do a nice job of having all these tools where you can look at the data in a whole bunch of different ways. And um, and, and they also have the cross-references for where they got all this information. And I've checked it over, you know, at various times. And every time I check the data, it's always been pretty accurate. So um, so anyways, what we're, we're talking about is like, uh, if you want to look at the numbers, you go to that particular location. So one of the, if you look at like the military spending, for example, since World War II, we don't really have big blips on the chart in military spending. Like uh, it used to be way back when, when like a war came around, you see a big, huge spike in the debt or you see a big, huge spike in spending. And then after the war gets done, then the military spending goes down. Uh, the thing that changed, and actually back then we had a philosophy is that we did not want to have a standing army. You know, America did not, you know, if we were always afraid of a big military force, because we're afraid that military force might be used to control us. So it used to be back in the day that our military budget was next to nothing. So that all kind of changed after World War II. After World War II happened, what we did is we ramped up our military, but we kept it up. So our military became like, I think it's like around, around, nowadays it's around 20 or 30% of the budget. Uh, That's what we, we, we spent on the military. Whereas it used to be like you know closer to like you know two percent of the budget or very little, so our military budget is so high we maintain this really strong military force. So when we had like a war come along the Korea, for example, uh, the Korean War, we didn't really see a huge increase in spending because our spending was already so high up there. And the same is true with Vietnam. Vietnam was a pretty big war for us, but when Vietnam came along, you don't see that much difference in the spending really. And actually the same is true with Reagan, too. When Reagan, you know, he ramped up spending a little bit, but it wasn't that much because we already had a really super strong military. Uh, uh, George Bush Jr., when he, uh, uh, when he went to the Iraq wars and, and, I mean, the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war, if you look at the, how his budget was, his budget really didn't change much at all, really, because of war. And there he's fighting, like, two really significant wars, but the budget really didn't change. So... We we see that under the Reagan years, something happened where our debt still went up, though. So if now Reagan did spend a little bit more when Reagan came to power, um, some people may not know this, but Reagan was uh, fighting a really severe uh, recession. Uh, when uh, we all know about how Obama had to fight the Great Recession, and Obama saw unemployment go all the way up to ten percent, well, Reagan saw the exact same thing. He saw, his is a little bit different, but he saw unemployment go up to 10%, just like Obama did. So he was dealing with his own, actually, Obama had to deal with wars. Reagan was dealing with his, you know, Cold War, I guess. But, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're dealing with, they, the presidents are very similar. So Reagan, he did increase his spending. But the bigger thing that he did is he changed the tax system quite a bit. And one of the big things that uh, Reagan did was he cut taxes for the rich in particular uh, a lot, by a lot. Uh, 
So with the taxes, um, you know, in America, we, we do our taxes, uh, we, we have tax brackets so that if you make up to like, like say, if you make up to the first $30,000 of income, for example, you probably don't get federally taxed at all. And then maybe, you know, the next 30000 you get taxed at like maybe 15%. And then the next 100000 you get taxed at, you know, 20%. So we have all these brackets where you you get taxed at. Well, the people that make over like a million dollars, for example, um, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are, but it's something like that. But um, the people that made over like a million dollars, for example, they used to get taxed at 70% of their income. So anything over a million, now that first million you know, was taxed like everyone else, but everything beyond the million dollars, uh, that used to be taxed at 70%. Back in the 50s, we used to tax it at 90%. And this is part of the reason why you can see that the debt went down so quickly because we were, we're taxing, you know, the rich quite a bit. Now Reagan changed that. He kind of cut that down to about 35%. So he kind of cut their, the, the, the tax on the really rich people. He cut their taxes down quite a bit significantly. And uh, the result was after all his tax cuts and stuff like that is the revenue that the government was getting went way, way, way down. And that was one of the big things that contributed to the debt. If you if you look at you know things, yes, he did spend a little bit more to fight the recession. You know, usually if you want to fight a recession, the key is you uh, most of the time you increase spending. Increasing spending is the best way to fight a recession. And, and Reagan did increase spending, but uh, the other thing he did is he cut taxes and that reduced revenues. So if you have spending going up, revenue going down, the result is very high debt. So just to uh, put some numbers behind this kind of stuff. Before, uh, before the, uh, de- the World War II and the Depression, you know the, the the budget for the federal government used to be like very small. I think it's like close to. I want to say it's between. I can't remember the numbers, but I think it's like between like about five percent of GDP is what the government spent. So we had a very small uh, budget way back then. But then with the Depression, we got some of these social programs and like Social Security. And then uh, with the World War II, we decided to increase the, the military spending. And so right now, after – I suppose this way. Um, uh, the average spending since uh, Truman, so since from Eisenhower on, our government on average spent 19.94% of GDP. And uh, on, this, on the other side, our revenue has been 17.58%. So that's the average. So pretty much – and it's been relatively consistent throughout from that time forward. So if you look at dollars, the dollars are always growing. But if you look at relative to GDP, we, we bounced right around that 19, 20%. We bounced around 20% ever since World War II. So here, here's some uh, 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 key figures. And what I did for these, uh, these numbers, just to give you a little background, is um, – I'm taking the middle six years of a presidency. And uh, the reason why I'm doing the middle six years is because the the federal budget, it doesn't follow like uh, the, the, nine, the 2019 budget. It doesn't go from January to December. Uh, but the federal budget, the fiscal year, they call it a fiscal year, the year starts October 1st. So your budget goes from October 1st to September 30th the next year. 
the problem there is you you have uh, the budget overlaps president sometimes. So the first year of a, of a presidency, the first year the budget is kind of like half because of the previous president. And of course, the last year, you know, half is due to the previous president. So, you know, it's not necessarily quite, you know, trying to figure out what president is responsible for that budget is a little bit challenging. So instead of screwing with that kind of stuff, for my little study, I just leave off that first year and the last year. So um, if I do that, if I look at uh, Reagan spending for his middle six years, uh, he averaged 22% of GDP spending. And on the revenue side, he was at 1763 So you can see that he's you know, quite a bit lower. Um, if you look at uh, Clinton, uh, Clinton was famous because uh, Clinton is actually one of the only presidents that, that balanced the budget. Um, so Clinton balanced the budget, and his average for those middle six years, his spending was less than Reagan as far as GDP goes at 19.41% of GDP, where his revenue, and that was one of his key things, his revenue was at 19%. So right there you can see his spending and his, 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 his uh, revenue were actually pretty close to each other, and that's why he he you know, he actually achieved a, a balanced budget. Keep in mind, Reagan was at 20, basically 22 and 17%. So there's a, a big difference there between spending and revenue. Uh, when Clinton, the last year of Clinton's presidency, he essentially had a balanced budget. And we get into reasons why he did that. But then uh, uh, Bush came in. And Bush, uh, he had a spending, spending average 19.53%. Keep in mind, Clinton was at 19.4%. So it's pretty much the same spending level. And keep in mind, Bush was fighting two wars, so two two major wars. But his spending really didn't change that much, really, at all. But uh, what happened, though, his revenue, whereas Clinton had a revenue of 19.01%, uh, Bush's revenue went all the way down to 17.04%. So, and because of that, he found his debt jumping way up in the air. Then by the time Obama came into office, you know, Obama had to fight, obviously, the Great Recession. And... uh uh, his but his spending was like like I said Obama and Reagan had to fight similar things, but Obama average spending was twenty one point four seven percent of GDP, whereas Reagan's was twenty two. So you see that Obama was a little bit not too much different, but a little bit uh, more frugal than uh, Reagan was. And but the thing with Obama is that uh, his average uh, revenue was sixteen point three percent, which was uh, compared to Reagan's seventeen point six three, and Clinton's nineteen. So the, the, the revenue side of Obama was actually really the, the real killer. Uh, if you look at uh, Trump nowadays, Trump, he only has like one fiscal year that qualifies in my case right now. And uh, in his fiscal, his last fiscal year, uh, his uh, spending was at 20.51%, which is, you know, it's about average. It's about average to be at. But now his uh, revenue is down at 16.62%. So the revenue side is just way, 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 way down there. So, um, I mean, I'm sorry about this. this is like a, a a lot of numbers, but to me, it's like the numbers are like pretty black and white of where the problems at. You know, if if we averaged, you know, like I said, since Truman, if we averaged 19.94 percent spending, we've been pretty consistent. Like all these presidents, like from Reagan down to Trump, you know, they're 
you know, Reagan was at 22. He's in the higher side. He's in the highest side. Um, Trump's at 20%. Clinton was on, uh, actually, uh, Clinton was on the low side in 1941. It's not that different from, you know, the, the average of 20%. But the thing that changes a lot is revenue. You know, Reagan had revenue as averaging 17.63%, whereas uh, Clinton got that up to 19%, which matched the spending level. Uh, Bush, uh, what, um, by the way, what, what happened with Clinton was uh, when Reagan came in office, he cut the taxes and the rich in particular. Uh, one of the first things that Clinton did when he came to office was he increased taxes. Uh, not, not to the, the 70% that it used to be, but he, he still increased taxes uh, on the rich in particular. Um, the, the lower class always tend to get tax cuts through Republicans or Democrats. Um, but Clinton ended up increasing taxes. By increasing taxes, he got the revenue up to pretty close to what the spending levels were at. Well, actually he did. He balanced the budget. As soon as Bush came into office, one of the first things they did was they cut taxes. And they cut taxes, so it, our revenue went from 19% all the way down to 17%. And the thing about the Bush tax cuts is those carried right over to uh, Obama too. So when Obama took office, uh, he, you know, the budget was already out of whack as it was because revenue dropped way low. But then everyone lost their jobs and stuff. And so you know, the uh, um, the revenue went even lower. And then, of course, they also did some uh, tax cuts as far as stimulus. So, you know, at one point, uh, uh, at one point, the revenue side was down to as low as 14.45% for Obama. And except a lot of that was kind of like carryover from the Bush tax cuts. And finally, what Obama was able to do was uh, he couldn't really get a tax increase because the Republicans controlled Congress. But the Bush tax cuts did expire. And he allowed them to expire, you know, some of them to expire. So, and, that, and what happened was the revenue jumped all the way up to 18%. And that's where you see Obama was like shrinking down the deficit. Not, 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 not to mention he also cut spending. So, so he did kind of some spending cuts. So he got uh, revenue up to 18%. But then when Trump came into office, with Trump too, he cut the taxes again. And right now the, the revenue level is at 16.62%. So keep in mind, he's still spending at 20%, you know, right around 20%. But the revenue dropped from 18 all the way down to 16%. And that's where we're seeing the debt grow up at. To me, that should be a very, very, very simple discussion. And as far as I'm concerned, it's like I don't, you know, with 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 political discussions, I want to have that discussion first. And then people will say, like, well, Reagan, he was fighting the Cold War. Fine. You know, Roosevelt fought the World War II, but he increased taxes to pay for it. You know, so my thing is we need to get to the point where we hold our politicians uh, responsible for what they spend. If they think it's worthwhile spending so much money to fight a war or whatever it is, fine. You know, spend the money, but increase the taxes, you know, to pay for it. And what happens too often nowadays, it seems like, is that uh, we got these politicians that cut the taxes, they run the debt, and they pretty much know that the only thing that people see is really their paycheck. And they see, oh, wow, I got more money in my paycheck. This must be a great president. And then they totally ignore the uh, the debt side of the equation. And that's the kind of stuff that uh, that, that, that drives me crazy with uh, uh, political discussions. Um, and like I said, it's a lot of numbers. And, you know, me being a geek, you know, going back to astrology again, I'm a geek sign. So and I also tell people I don't trust anyone. So uh, I always want to verify things. I don't trust myself either. I always want to verify things. 
looking at the debt data, you know, it's pretty easy to just draw the correlation. Oh, this president cut taxes when he first came in office. Oh, the revenue went from this level to that level. Ah, that's probably the taxes, you know, the spending. Okay, the average is right around here. Everyone says, well, we need to cut spending. We need to cut spending. But they don't cut spending. Cutting spending is like a really, really challenging thing to do. But they all say, oh, no, we're going to cut spending. and But they don't. And and like I said, I showed you, I told you the numbers. I mean, you know, we had Reagan, who's considered like to be this great conservative and all this kind of stuff. Well, he's spending an average twenty two percent of GDP. And uh, you know, Clinton, the one who's supposed to be like the, the you know the liberals and spending a lot of money, um, you know, he's at nineteen percent. You know, so he is actually lower. Uh, Bush, like I said, Bush and Clinton, Bush didn't do much with spending. I mean, he's he's maintained a pretty decent level of spending, but he cut the taxes. And that caused the debt to roll up there. And it's like, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of like cheating. You know, it's like someone that goes and spends a lot of money at the, on a credit card and lives a high life and stuff like that. And they, they, they sound like a great buddy to you because you're getting all the, the drinks at the bar or whatever on, on their bill. But, you know, they're not really paying the bill. And, uh, you know, that's why any politician to me that runs on tax cuts, uh, I, I really – to me, I, I immediately don't trust them because, you know, I know they will get their tax cuts done. It's very easy to get tax cut done, um, but it's just not a responsible thing to do. And I think that if we held our politicians to almost like a balanced budget type thing, um, if we did that, then I think they'd be more accountable anyways. Or people would be like, whoa, people like, you know, because if someone's like, uh, yeah, we're going to cut spending, we'll go ahead and cut spending. So as soon as they cut your social security, or your medical benefits, or something like that, then you're going to be like, well, wait a second, you just took benefits away from me. You know, that, that's how you balance the budget by taking things away from me. I like that. And that's why they never spend these things. You know, people, you know, you're not going to see, you're going to see people like, like to increase spending on military. Yeah, go ahead and increase spending on military. We need to support our troops. Yes, great. But when it comes time to pay for it with taxes, people are like, no, no, I don't want to pay for the taxes. I, I want you to increase the spending. It's like, well, how are you going to do that? You know, you have, you have to balance things off. Um, and like I said, it, to me, it should be a very straightforward conversation, but it's not. Um, excuse me. Regarding the, um, regarding the budget, like I said, people like to, uh, th- that, that website that I like so much, the usgovernmentspending.com, um, one thing you can do on that website is you can, do little graphs of different areas of the budget. So one I like to do is uh, uh, with the federal budget, basically about a third of it is dedicated towards healthcare, like Medicare and Medicaid. Um, so about 30% of the budget, right around 30% is dedicated towards that. And then you got about, you know, about 20, 30% of the budget dedicated towards military spending. So that's a huge chunk. And then the last third it's kind of like dedicated towards like pensions, uh, you know, social security, basically our, our retirements. So those are the, the 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 key areas of the budget. And one little graph that's kind of interesting to do is do a graph of uh, you can do a graph of a lot of different things. Like like some people like to pick on welfare. Oh my god, welfare spending is like obnoxious. Um, we don't spend that much on welfare. You know, it's actually relatively small. But if you and people like to think that oh, it's, it's jumped up so high. And uh, if you do a graph of it relative to GDP, um, it, it pretty much stayed 
pretty level since, you know, you know, since like the sixties, um, sixties is kind of significant because, uh, in around 1965, I think that's where they, they, they passed like uh, Medicare or stuff like that, or they, they, they had some more benefits to our, our system. So, you know, when we do your studies, starting around 65 or 70, uh, that, that's kind of a good place to start. So, but if you look at like, uh, uh, like, like the welfare, you know, it, it stays relatively flat, you know, at the same level. And it's actually a very meager level. If you look at like the military spending, the military spending, the graph of it is relatively flat. Uh, if you look at the pensions, uh, the pensions, um, once again, relatively flat. Uh, the one thing that stands out a lot is healthcare. Uh, healthcare in our country is obnoxious. Um, I think we spend around $10,000 per person, you know, this man, woman, and child, $10,000 per person um, in, in this country. And when I say $10,000, you know, some of that's privately spent and some of that's, you know, spent by the government. But as a whole, we spend about 10000 Other countries in the world, their health care is between like three and 5000 per person. So to me, what that tells me right there is if I want to cut our budget down significantly, uh, like I said, health care is about 30% of our budget. Um, it's about, if, if health care is 30% of our budget, and we're spending twice as much as all these other countries are spending, you know, that is a good place where we can start doing it. The other thing you can look at is what, what the health care is. The graph of it since like 1965 has been increasing. So whereas all these other things like military spending, uh, pensions, welfare, all these other little areas, the, the spending level is always relatively flat. Healthcare has been going up, up, and up. And it increases like about 1% of GDP per decade. So every 10 years, uh, so let's say that, uh, let's say that, uh, uh, in 1970, I'm just going to use some fictitious numbers, but let's say in 1970, our spending on healthcare was 20%. Well, in 1980, you can expect our healthcare spending to be, be at 21% of GDP. And then in 1990, be 22% of GDP. And then 2000, be 23% of GDP. So basically every 10 years, we're increasing our spending, you know, another percent of GDP. And this is where I think uh, like Obama is really smart on focusing, you know, focusing on healthcare as his first priority. Because it's smart from one thing, because one, we're the richest country in the world. And for a developed country, we're one of the few developed countries that does not cover all of our citizens with healthcare, which is a tragedy. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we're spending about twice as much as other countries on healthcare. And the other thing is, is our healthcare is increasing by about one percent of GDP every ten every decade. I mean, there's you know that is if you care about the budget, you know, aside from caring about people's lives, period. If you care about the budget, the healthcare is a really really good place to to, to uh, look. And uh, you know, regarding healthcare, um, some people. Uh, uh, some people will say, well, gee, if it's increasing that much, then let's just get government out of it. You know, it, it still doesn't really matter because if you get government out of it, the people are still paying. So if you do a graph of like, uh, like how much the private cost of healthcare are, uh, you know, in government costs, you know, the, the private sector, they're seeing the same kind of growth too. I mean, healthcare in this country is just like growing at an obnoxious rate. And um, I, I know this very, you know, I know it's, very easily because I uh, I'm I'm uh, 
uh, self-employed. So being self-employed, I had to pay like all of my healthcare costs. And uh, I think like one tragedy about uh, healthcare is that a lot of people are are hidden from all the costs of healthcare, and they don't really find out until you know you know trouble hits. Uh, for example, um, uh, a lot a lot of people get their healthcare through their employer, and you know the employer may have a copay, but uh, they don't really you know the copay is like relatively small. So I might you know when I was working for someone else, my my healthcare bill was like maybe like a hundred or two hundred dollars a month. Well, that's not how much it costs. I'm being hidden from most of the cost. You know, right now, you know, I'm paying about twelve hundred dollars a month in, in healthcare. You know, if you're paying the whole bill yourself, you know, it's it's quite a bit more expensive and a lot of people don't see that kind of stuff. And that kind of clutters the whole conversation when it comes to healthcare. And then you get the fact that some people just don't so you know, don't get the healthcare. So anyways, so that's uh, kind of like my my introduction. Uh, um, I decided I don't like uh, doing these shows by myself. <laughs> I like uh, having someone else here. So I, I miss you, Ronnie or Elizabeth or Evan or whoever else came on my show before. Um, it's uh, it helps keep me focused. But uh, that, that's a that's a lot of information. I want to get out there. Like I said, when I talk about making the world a good place. Um, and on my website, I have little articles about all these different things, astrology, religion, and politics. Um, but they, they all kind of boil down to the same things. Like I'm trying to find ways that, you know, we can all get along and love each other, not be so judgmental, help the poor, and just make the world a, a better place. But I went over a lot of different numbers. And if you go to the website and see some of the graphs, it probably stand out a little bit more to you. Um, on the website, because uh, I, I do a lot of work on the website, but on the front page, I have a section there where you can go to all the podcasts where you can listen to the, the, the shows. But then I have a little section there where you can go to a, a link on astrology. So you can see like a, an astrology one-on-one, just a single page right up on the basics of astrology. Uh, I also have a little mini book that I wrote there, um, which kind of goes into a little bit more detail. And it's, it's made for the novice. And then I also have a section there where I, I, I talk about some of my thoughts on religion, which we, we covered in previous shows. And then I also have some spots there where I have a couple of articles where I talk about the uh, um, uh, the politics. So anyways, uh, hopefully look at that. It makes more sense. And I'm hoping that next week I'll have my friends back with me. So once again, thegoodreverendjim.com. And uh, thank you.